welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest who's used the bumps and bruises of T1D Life to shape his career path, Kyle Rose. If you're new to the show, welcome and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer and I'm the co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. I love what my friends at Diabetes Wise are doing, and having a chief strategy officer like Kyle is icing on the sugar-free cake. (laughs) Just kidding, but in all seriousness, his career path is a true testament to his passion to help people living with diabetes. Good on you, Kyle, and Diabetes Wise for all that you do for our community. Before we get started, I do have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Your kind donation helps keep the lights on and the episodes coming. It's easy to get involved. You can make a donation on the website or contact our crew about partnership opportunities at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. We play well in the diabetes sandbox and would greatly appreciate your support. Number two, the DDG affiliates page is live, sharing brands and services who make our life a more pleasant one. There are quite a few deals out there for my diabetes with new additions updated regularly. So be sure to check it out on the website. Number three, the real life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour is still taking place every Thursday and gaining some traction. Gosh, I love hanging out with my friends from England, Scotland, Australia, Canada, and here in the United States. The event has nothing to do really with alcohol, but is for adults. So join us. Just uh, pop in anytime on every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please note, you do have to register by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter. Leave an iTunes review. You'd make my day. Subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. Welcome, Kyle Rose, to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Kyle, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. And where are you calling in from? I'm in uh, Southern California in the North County, San Diego area. Ah, I love that. Oh, good weather. You can exercise pretty much year round. Kind of jealous. Not going to lie. So you've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years? Yeah, that's right. Actually, this coming year will be my 25th uh, anniversary. What is the date? I don't, you know what, I, I need to go back and actually trace the exact date because I didn't have it on file, but it's roughly around the middle of the month in June. So it's coming up soon. I think it's so funny because I've interviewed a lot of people that don't know the actual date. So they kind of guesstimate, and I mean, teach their own. I, the only reason I knew mine was my mom was totally on top of it. It was so long ago when I was little and I got my medical reports from Children's Hospital a couple of years back. And I was off by one day, but I, you know, I was, anywho, it's different for everybody. Um, do you celebrate your diversity? Depends on the year. I think it's important to recognize how long I've been living with this, uh, you know, this crazy thing called diabetes. And so I think for this one, I'm, I'm planning on it because it seems like a big one, 25. Yeah. What do you recommend doing? Well, it's different <laughs> for everybody. I usually... Um, splurge a little bit. I'll have a, a couple of glasses of wine. And one year it was, this is how ridiculous it was. Is I uh, went to Whole Foods and got some of their um, garlic French green beans. That was my lunch instead of having this totally balanced. And I had that with like a glass of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. So that was me just relaxing, celebrating life and not giving my uh, 
diabetes too much attention that day, I got to celebrate me. So, but I have a lot of people that, you know, have a, do a cake or other things. So, um, I, you know, it's whatever, but keep us posted. I'd love to hear what you end up doing. Maybe you'll inspire somebody else. Will do. So let's talk about your diagnosis story. So 25-ish years ago. Yeah, give me a walk through that. Yeah, so at the time I was living in rural America in a town called Bosco, Idaho, where I spent uh, most of my childhood. And there's a couple things I remember from, from my diagnosis story. I was a teenager, so I was uh, 16 years old and uh, developed a lot of the symptoms that would resonate with, with most uh, who've gone through this T1D diagnosis from, you know, complete dehydration, uh, frequent urination to kind of uh, dehydration to the point where I was getting muscle cramps and muscles I didn't know existed, like on the balls of my feet and in strange places like that. So I had quite a few signals uh, by the time it came to that week. But the night before, and this is kind of a funny anecdote, I went out to uh, a movie. And it was a big deal because I went with my brother and his friends and they're eight years older than me. So it wasn't so <laughs> often I got that, that invite. But the funny thing, in hindsight, looking back at it, was the positioning of our seats at the movie theater was right in the middle of the row, or mine was. So given the symptoms I just described to you, you probably know where this is going on. Over the course of the two-hour movie, I think I probably got up, you know, 10 times, five in each direction to disturb the row. I wasn't the most popular guy in the row, for sure. And I think was... uh, was forgiven in, in what ensued in, in this diagnosis. So that's one thing I remember. The other thing I really remember is that it was actually my eye doctor that diagnosed me because he said, hey, Kyle, your, your vision has changed so quickly, so drastically that you should get checked for diabetes. And that same day, I went to my primary care doctor and um, he diagnosed me with diabetes. My blood sugar was over 800 milligrams per deciliter. And he told my family and I, well, you're going to need to go to the hospital. And so we, I remember began discussing with my mom, okay, we're going to go home and get a few things. And, and he looked at me and said, no, no, you're going to the hospital you know, directly right now. And I just remember locking eyes with them and really it kind of hit home there how serious this was going to be. And over the course of the next week, um, you know, as insulin was reintroduced to my system and in intensive care, uh, I learned what that would mean uh, for, for the future. I felt incredibly well supported. I think I was really lucky that I had both my family and the healthcare professionals around me uh, there to offer me, you know, I had access to the care and, mm-hmm. and support that I think is just so important that I know is not, not true for everybody. And that uh, also included continuing activities in, in my life, my daily life that were important to me, like sports. What sports were you doing at that age? I was doing quite a few of them. I would say soccer coming from a European family was, was pretty high up the list, the cycling as well. But any excuse to, to run around, yeah, that's uh, how I spent a lot of my years growing up. So the thought of, oh, my goodness, now am I not going to be able to do any of some of these things uh, was very scary to me. How long did you stay in the hospital? About a week. Okay. Which is so crazy to me now, and I've said this on a number of episodes, is some, and no disrespect to the medical community, but they're given a backpack, they're there for a day, and it's like, move along, you, your kid has type 1 diabetes. And I'm just like, I can't imagine, because I was in the hospital for almost two weeks. And I wasn't in DKA and, you know, uh, maybe it was a learning curve. I don't know, but it's just like, I can't imagine not having that time to really let your diabetes settle in and what that actually looks like. So your immediate thought was, am I still going to be able to do those things? Did the type one diabetes prevent you from going right back into your regular routine? Is a little like- bit. I, I would say 
Yeah, it was, you know, there was definitely kind of an air of, of caution and understandably so about, you know, my healthcare team wanting me to understand how to be prepared to do those activities, whether it was having, you know, low blood glucose treatment supplies with me or, or otherwise when I was out and about. I'm sure you would recall because we know about medications we've been on. What did they put you on to meet him right off the bat? So it was before, I'm dating myself a little bit here. It was before the rapid acting analogs. Yeah. So I was on R, NPH. insulin, and MPH. Yeah. Loud and clear. That's how I rolled until yeah, way later than I should have. <laughs> but okay, so and I always ask that because I think for the people that are newly diagnosed, you have no idea what we have had to do in the past. And if you mix those two up, it was a, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was just mixed it up as in you gave the oh, wrong dosage. Yeah, right. Bit. I mean, there was a lot of calculation there. So, all right, you've got a new life with type 1 diabetes, and you're soon off to, I would assume, university. And I'm saying that for a reason, because I feel like in reading what I have about you is that maybe your diagnosis has really driven your career path. I would say that's a very fair statement. Um, It absolutely has uh, in a way that I never thought it would. And I guess, you know, one thing I want to make, very clear is I've, I've certainly and continue to have my ups and downs with my, my diabetes, um, just such an arduous task. And one of the you know, times in my life where I really struggled while, was while at university, okay. the stress, the competitive environment of the university I was attending, and uh, quite frankly, the lack of understanding of the people working there in terms of what accommodations were appropriate. However, much common sense it would have seemed uh, were not necessarily afforded to me, which resulted in, you know, severe hypoglycemic episodes, for example, and other things that probably could have been prevented. But it, you know, such a time of change and a time where you're, you're gaining that independence um, that I hadn't necessarily had before and exploring a bit. And um, it it was some rough waters for me for sure. But to get back to your original question, um, I was trained as a chemical engineer um, in my undergraduate education. And my first job out of college was in a more traditional chemical engineering job. But my second job was the first one where I was working on diabetes related work. Mm-hmm. And once I had kind of been immersed in that environment where I was working on a product that was so relevant that I thought I could really add a lot to, um, given what I was experiencing personally, um, I haven't looked back and it's been, yeah, it's been 20 plus years of working in, in this industry on, on both the nonprofit and on the industry side, uh, particularly in medical devices, which has very much shaped my career given, you know, given yeah. that diagnosis. Well, and can I bring up some of the companies that you worked for? Because you were very well-rounded. Um, so do you say Santa Fe? How do you say, I say Santa Fe, but that maybe is the Oklahoma and in me. <laughs> it depends where you're at. When I'm back in France, we say Sanofi. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I like that. Either one goes fine. That sounds a lot cooler. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Okay, so it's Bigfoot Biomedical. That's a big one. Medtronic, My Sugar. You, I mean, the list goes on and on. Is there any, and you don't have to say which group, but is there any particular time period with all these companies that you really felt like you were making an impact? I think, you know, it also really depended on the role I uh, had yeah. and was playing, right? Because I, I really ranged uh, as my career developed from engineer to working on continuous blood glucose monitoring products, uh, like at Therasense, uh, which was acquired by Abbott, to um, you know being on the commercial side uh, in sales and and you know working in in clinics uh, and working with patients. Um, 
so I think that the role really was an important factor there, but the underlying role that I feel like I played, no matter what my formal title was, was really being the person in the conference room that was raising the the voice of, of the PWD, of the mm-hmm. patient, of the person living with diabetes. And, and that's been consistent throughout. And in, in some cases, it's been more you know welcome than others uh, in terms of how that feedback has been received. Yeah, well said. I mean, I've never really understood. And so I would say the past four or five years, how valuable our voices are um, with product development and how, I mean, just how they move forward with these things, because what they think might be great may not work for us. And I know that each person is different. And if you can speak to this too, and I, you don't have to, well, I, if you want to share what companies you work or you're wearing, what devices you're wearing, your management is very different, even though we're diagnosed with the same disease. So can you talk a little bit about what you're currently using for your diabetes management? Sure. Yeah, I, I actually recently migrated. Um, I'm wearing a pump um, and an AID system. Uh, so I'll show you my, uh, my tandem control IQ that I recently started on about four or five months ago. Pri- prior to that, I was wearing the uh, so-called DIY open source uh, yeah. loop system with a, an Omnipod and uh, continue to wear the Dexcom G6 sensor as a complement to that. Because I talk to a lot of people who are switching pumps right now because of the beginning of year, you know, all the things. Did you find the transition difficult or was it as smooth? I got this, no worries. Because it's a big system. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, I, I would say um, it was a perhaps as smooth as I imagined it was going to be, which is to say probably not very smooth. I mean, I, I'm well aware that, you know, we all have our own kind of habits and behaviors and we kind of adapt to the system that we're wearing. And right. um, in some cases, when the system's really well designed, it also adapts to us, which is great, which is we wish yeah. we could be seeing more of that. Um, so I think I, you know, I, I like, many others, I, I struggled certainly the first few days, uh, just kind of, you know, figuring it out, but was well supported again, by healthcare professionals and the company in this case. And so I feel like I was able to, to get to a good place um, within a few weeks, which I was That's happy great. with. Absolutely. But I wasn't happy the first week, because <laughs> I was used to something, you know, and it's like anything else, right? With our diabetes, if something gets shaken up, but I knew that going into it, having made the decision. And the previous system I was wearing was doing very well for me. So I had uh, tough comparison metrics, I suppose. Right. Well, and I think for the average person who doesn't have diabetes, when they, if they hear things like this, it's like when you change devices or insulins or something, I mean, it's all hands on deck because, I mean, your life is at risk and it can be exhausting. It's overwhelming at times. And, and then you got to find your stride and that may completely disrupt the routine you had three days before. So even when I change out sensors, I'm like, okay, well, I need to be more mindful of my blood sugar today because it may not be a hundred percent right now. And so it's, um, again, one of those constant things. And for me, it's everyday stuff just because I've had it so long. It's like, oh, this is a part of my day, whatever. But I think sometimes for the people that are newly diagnosed, it can be over overwhelming. And so if you're new to the game, if we can do it, you can do it. <laughs> and some days are going to be better than others, but you got to keep going. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about your professional career. And like I said, you've been, <laughs> I'm, I'm so impressed. I need to see your full resume. <laughs> just kidding. And I want to say right off the bat that I have had the privilege of participating in some of the D data exchanges and all of the really cool 
I've had access to some, some things that maybe the average person is not, and they should because now it's completely virtual and it's affordable and all the things. But I met some people that were a part of Diabetes Wise in the very, this was two or three years ago. And I was like, holy crap, who is this group and what are they doing? Because it was everything that I believe in. And something that I've pushed personally is, you know, I'm completely unbiased. I want people to get as much information as humanly possible so they can make the right choices. And let's be honest, we know that the medical community, if you're an endocrinologist with no disrespect, you probably can't keep up with everything because it's changing weekly. And we're going to see a lot of new CGMs and, and things like that on, in the, on the horizon. And so your title, let me find it, is because it's something I had not heard before and I like it. Chief Strategy Officer. So in my current role at Diabetes Wise, what uh, I'm working on is really thinking about the future of, of the project. And I was fortunate, similar to you, to discover this amazing piece of work that was going on led by Dr. Corey Hood at Stanford and his team and funded by the Helmsley Trust. And I was just really drawn to it. Having spent so much time on the industry side of things, I think there are some things that are, are working well and that are many others that, that aren't and, and, and very, uh, I've been very outspoken about the fact that I think there's so much more we could be doing for, for people with diabetes. And so in my current role, what I'm trying to do is find the right balance of partnerships with some of these, for example, device uh, manufacturers who, you know, clearly we need to have uh, some kind of dialogue with in order to make sure that we have up-to-date information on all of the, the various products that we're speaking about on, on the platform, but also partnerships that may uh, help with the sustainability of, of the platform moving forward so mm -hmm. that we can continue to offer this resource for free uh, to, to people with diabetes. I love it. And I want to say, so one thing in particular that I want to uh, touch on is the is the device, gosh, my blood sugar was low a minute ago, so I'm like coming back up as we speak. The diabetes Please take your time. I've been, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it's one of those, every time I'm about to record a podcast, I see the arrow go down. I'm like, what is Oh, that no. Mean? It's like, it knows. It knows I have to do something important. Okay, let me say something on that because I do want to touch on that. When you go into a big meeting or um, let's just say a creative situation to where you really have to be on your game, what do you like to keep your blood sugar at? That's a really good question. I think that um, similar to what you've just described, I've experienced um, enough uh, low blood sugar in those settings that I make an extra effort to avoid it if I'm going into something that is important to me and that I will perhaps be the focus of attention leading a meeting or yeah. doing an interview, for example. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, fortunate to be wearing CGM and I'm looking at my blood sugar right here and I'm cruising right at 160. So for me, that's oh, yeah. perfect. That's uh, yeah. that's in a, in a safe zone, a little higher than I normally would be targeting, but comfortably away from uh, hypoglycemia. Yeah, I'm with you. I, mean, I usually like to hover around 140 and I may even like... Well, I just downed some orange juice before that, but it's just one of those things that you think about. And I will say that I had to do a presentation um, for a board of directors that I was the associate director for a wellness facility. Long story short, I was the second or third item on the agenda. And I walked into that meeting and just let the group know. I was like, listen, my blood sugar is low. I have taken everything that I need to. If you could please push me down on the agenda a little bit, that would be great because I want to be, do my presentation with a full mind, you know, and everybody was like, oh, that's great. And then I had somebody come up to me afterwards and like, oh, we didn't know he had diabetes. I have type two. So it was an opportunity to mm. 
not out myself, but I didn't want to fumble through that and look like an idiot. So I just, I say that out loud so that don't be ashamed if you need to take a minute or if you're not a hundred percent because you want to be your best. And I know that. So going back to the diabetes device finder, and I played around with this a little bit today on the website. I love it. And on all social media, everybody's like, what do you think about this pump? Or what do you know? And all the things. So this is, like I said, it's free, unbiased, and you get to choose. It even has a comparison report. Like I, I, if I decided to tap into pump therapy, um, I would definitely use this tool. And and it's for all people with diabetes. A lot of people don't know that a lot of type 2 folks are now insulin dependent. So this can be for anybody that's insulin dependent, correct? It's not giving advice. It's not telling you what to do. It's making a recommendation based on what you're interested in, correct? That's right. And so it's really uh, the design of the experience was something that the group really focused on. And a lot of that work happened before I arrived. But it's really intended to allow an individual to explore by their particular priority, whether it be an active lifestyle or avoiding hypoglycemia. And it's really intended both through sketches and simple wording to try to make it fairly intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that everyone claims that their their marketing and specs are, are intuitive. I mean, and so clearly that's up for interpretation, but the, certainly the goal and a high priority of this, our group was to make it intuitive in the sense that someone could go onto the platform, log onto the website and, and just begin to peruse and their journey may be completely different from someone else because they were had different priorities. And so the device finder is the, is the latest that we've launched to address this so that people can click on the sketches that may illustrate the things that they're uh, most um, interested in and they're most important to them in their diabetes management, perhaps something that they're struggling more with, or perhaps something that's more important mm-hmm. to them or both. Uh, and then allowing them to filter the devices that kind of pop up and create comparisons with other device categories. So I think one of the things, and this really spoke loudly to me having come from the industry side is that, you know, there are categories of devices that are created by the FDA. There are categories of devices that are created by industry themselves. Uh, What we wanted to kind of do was almost kind of a, a free flowing thinking of how this particular person, as many people as possible may think about, a diabetes device. And, and perhaps they don't know anything about these devices. I mean, these are the people we're really hoping to get the attention of. And this would be a way and a path for them to explore in terms and words and pictures that they already understand. I love it. And I got to say just an example is I host a happy hour every Thursday. And there was a gentleman who recently popped in. His name is, well, I'll say his name because he doesn't care, James. <laughs> and he's 41. He's had type 1 diabetes for five years. And he had no idea that about Omnipod. He'd never heard of a tubeless insulin pump and he's NDI currently. And so then one of the other people in happy hour was like, yeah, I've got it right here on my arm. And so, you know, I learned more from people with diabetes than I do ever in the, in the doctor's office. And it was so, he was blown away that this existed. And it just makes me think with what you guys are doing, it's unfortunate that, I mean, in other countries, they don't have access to the same things we do here in America and vice versa. I mean, I know there's some some things that we won't see for quite some time. So how do you address the fact that A, there are so many devices, B, you have people coming in from around the world that might be interested in this and they might not have access to it. So have you had any problems with that? 
There are, there are a lot of devices. And I think that that's, you know, very much one of the reasons that there's a need for this type of tool. And maybe just on that question, I'll take a step back and, and yeah. talk a little bit more about, you know, the bodies of research that this project was originally based on. Uh, Corey Hood, going back several years, as you alluded to, had done enormous amounts of research on what some of the obstacles could be uh, in the device adoption process, um, both on the healthcare professional side and on the person with diabetes side. And we live in a country with an incredibly complex healthcare system. So you can only imagine kind of how many bumps along the road there could be. And that research, I think, is what really identified the need for a tool such as Diabetes Wise to exist. And furthermore, uh, what ensued was a clinical trial that we are just in the process of, of having finished up that took a look at how hundreds of people, uh, it was actually kind of a clone site, so it was a closed platform where we could actually track how people were using it. Um, and almost 500 people with insulin requiring diabetes participated in this. The goal of the study was to really look at you know, how they were using the tool, but also to see what the outcome was. Because, you know, I think one thing that's really happened with Diabetes Wise over the course of the last few years is it's transitioned not only to be kind of an awareness and educational tool, but also very much about wanting to encourage device adoption because there's so much compelling data out there that, you know, using devices help, but not everybody knows about it, as you mentioned, or not everybody has access to it, which we're learning more and more. And so, I just think it's important to remember that's kind of where this all came from. And we're still learning. We're still kind of modifying this platform that has an algorithm that's built into it that in this clinical trial was, you know, helping people guide them through this journey of, eh, am I interested in a device? If so, which one? Can I compare it to others? And really helping them, you know, helping empower them to go speak to either their healthcare professional, their insurer, whoever it might yeah. be that can help them ultimately get to, to that device. So sorry, I was a little bit of an aside, but yeah, it it's okay. I hadn't, hadn't mentioned that. I think the second part of your question was about uh, international, yeah, which resonates with me as a person who's lived half my life in, in Europe. I absolutely think this is a tool um, that is it's not only just needed in the U.S. And we've had a lot of interest. Um, I work uh, as a board member at the International Diabetes Federation. Yeah. So I would love to take those next steps and translate some of this content and, and get it elsewhere. I don't think we're, we're quite there yet and we're still figuring it out our, our first version, so to speak, or our, our English version, but we're getting close. And I think that would be a, a really smart next step. I would love to work with uh, partners on the ground elsewhere who are interested in doing similar things. I would love to help out with that because I have the privilege and I mean that privilege of hanging out with people from Scotland, Canada, England, Australia, I mean, the people that come in to just be social and the insulin, I mean, just talking about insulin and access to things and the difference in healthcare. And it's like, you may think that someone's life in Australia is so grand. And I mean, who wouldn't be grand if you were living in Australia, but they don't have access to some of the medications that we do and the insulin that I currently use. And so, you know, it's my personal mission just to make sure that everybody has what they need. And it be affordable, which I know that's a lofty goal. And hopefully I'll be alive to see a little bit of that. But it's, it's crazy. And so, yeah, let me know what I can do to help in any capacity because I love what you guys are doing. And I'm going to read this off because I was looking at the features that this, this what it does. And it's, it's, like you said, the comparison tool, actionable next steps. That's awesome. 
mean, because I need some help. I need somebody to tell me, suggest what I need to do. Real life testimonials, downloadable reports, and information you can share with your medical team. So it goes back to what you said, empowering the patient to say, okay, here's what I'm looking at. And I can take this information into them and, and hopefully they will help me make the right decision and get what I need. Are there any other goals particular to the diabetes device finder or I think you guys, I mean, there's, I don't know what else you could possibly do besides pay for it. Here's your device. Here's a good trial. Well, no, I, and I think um, just to reiterate on what you said there, I think that's so important to have, well, what, what's next kind of thing. Okay. And now I know a little bit more about it. There seems to be certain combination of devices that could work well for me. What now, what do I do? And so what we've tried to do there is guide the next steps is print out this comparison report Uh, bring it to whoever it is that you're working with, whether it's your healthcare professional or or, uh, someone around you, perhaps a caretaker. Um, And then, you know, these are the things you could run into that could be stumbling blocks, uh, that could be obstacles. I think it's so important to be realistic and for people to know that and set the right expectations. And there's other people that have done really good work about that. So we also link with other resources about insurance coverage, for example, or JDRF has done some great work for for type ones. So now I think that's a really good point for us. One of the big next steps is we're in the process of developing a diabetes wise platform for healthcare professionals because we've had such a positive response from uh, PWDs uh, and we've had the positive response from healthcare professionals who were using that version uh, that we're now exploring. How could we tailor this uh, for the, you know, healthcare professionals out there, whether they're not necessarily the endocrinologists and specialists, but really a focus on perhaps those people that haven't been 100% focused on, on diabetes, but may have a number of diabetes patients coming to them like primary care physicians mm-hmm. um, and pharmacists. And, you know, how can we adapt this solution to, to fit their needs and to, to help them make, relevant people aware of, of, of the right device at, at the right time. Oh, that's much needed. Gosh, that would be, I mean, I, that's incredible. <laughs> Please let me know when that, uh, the medical community component is ready because I want to shout to the rooftops about you need to be on this and look at it because it's sad that most people are diagnosed. A lot of people are diagnosed with their diabetes um, from a GP and bless their hearts. They got a lot of, information to cover so they're not focused on and not everybody can go to an endocrinologist so yeah i think that's a really really important component moving forward is there anything else you want to share about diabetes wise and what's in the the future of what you guys are doing perhaps one thing i think we've all just been through such a such a hard time this last year and i think in 2020 we have seen an enormous amount of data presented in in conferences showing the health inequities across uh, mm-hmm. America, and, and I think that that's very relevant to what we're doing. In fact, we have members of of the team at Stanford, Dr. Ananta Adala, for example, who have focused their research on this area for a long time, mm-hmm. showing that there's just not the same access to care, uh, as well as medication, including devices, particularly in black and brown communities uh, in in America. And I think that's been highlighted in all of what we've seen. Uh, So we feel we have a role to play and uh, we would welcome anyone working in this area uh, to to come and and speak with us and dialogue. We're always looking to iterate and improve our platform. And uh, we really do believe that everyone can benefit from these devices and want to help them find the right one for them and 
and help them, you know, get it in their hands. And so I think that's very much our, our mission. Yeah, I love it. I get a lot of messages from people newly diagnosed and they're like this, you know, listening to your guest reminds or lets me know that this isn't a death sentence. So do you feel like at any point in your life, and I ask that you be honest about it, that diabetes has kept you from doing anything? Such a tough question. I mean, anything at all, it would be hard for me to say no, particularly because on my diagnosis year, I was selected for the Youth for Understanding Scholarship to go study abroad in, in Japan. So I would have been leaving literally like two months after I was diagnosed with type one. So that was a no go for my, my healthcare team. Maybe other healthcare professionals would have encouraged me and and reacted differently. They encouraged me with so many other things, but not this particular thing to go 10,000 miles away where there's, you know, cultural and and language differences that would have made it. So what was kind of interesting, the reason I mentioned that was actually for my 10th anniversary, I chose to go to Japan and uh, that was, you know, very significant for me, given what I was kind of prevented from doing. I was so excited about it, you know, as a teenager to go to go explore uh, Asia. So I did get to do that trip under different circumstances and much more well-versed in, in all things diabetes. Now, when I look back at the last 25 years, if anything, diabetes has brought me a uh, a career has shaped my career has allowed me to travel around the world. I've been to, you know, over 50 different countries for my work uh, wow. in Asia, the Middle East and the Americas. And so if anything, I think it's, um, it's catapulted me into something perhaps I never would have done otherwise. But sure, along the way, there's been some some bumps and bruises, but nothing that stopped me from having a, an incredible uh, career. And so I, I guess I owe a thanks to my diabetes for that. <laughs> well, yeah, never in a million years that I think I'd be talking about diabetes on a podcast. I didn't talk about it for the first 30 years of living with it. And now it's like, let's get crazy. I love hearing that. And I mean, I'm eating green beans and drinking wine on my diversity and you're going to Japan. Like I need to, up my game. <laughs> <laughs> maybe for my 40th uh, diversity, I'll have a big trip plan because we'll be able to travel at that point, hopefully. So I got to say so. one thing to that in a personal story that happened recently. And it was one of those like, damn it, diabetes, why today? So I'd had a great weekend and um, I had a friend that said, Hey, do you want to ride on my scooter with me? And I was like, he has a little sidecar. And I was like, yes, that'll be so much fun. And I'd been struggling with my blood sugar literally all day. I couldn't keep it up. I didn't know what was going on. And I was terrified. I was like, I was literally took a moment to meditate and I ate a bunch of, or drank a bunch of orange juice. And I was like, I'll be damned if diabetes keeps me from riding in a scooter, a little sidecar. And it was just that moment of like being frustrated, but I knew that I could get through it. It didn't keep me from being there. And even when I went to, and he picked me up and I was like, listen, my blood sugar is 60. He was like, are you going to be okay? And I was like, I'm going to be fine. And it was just an opportunity to, Talk about, this is a, this is a tough one, but I'm going to enjoy this trip. I'm not going to let diabetes keep me from it. And of course my blood sugar leveled out. We had a great time, but it's one of those mindful moments where, and I say that because with all the travel and things, you have to think of, you have to prepare a lot more. I mean, the diabetes definitely adds a different layer, but it becomes a routine at some point. Would you say? Yeah, I would, particularly with travel. I mean, I just had to 
come to terms with the fact that, you know, X percent, X being a very large number of my bag was going to be filled with diabetes related items. And that right. was extremely frustrating to me, particularly when there were people saying, you can only have this much stuff with you, but I'm right. like, half of it is stuff I really need. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, listen, 25 years or nearly 25 years, I should say, after the fact, uh, I'm, I'm still learning and, and uh, it's great to hear stories from other individuals such as yourself, so I can continue to learn. Okay, last question for real. Because of the travel, and God, I can't wait to get on an airplane, which is weird to say, because I'm getting vaccinated tomorrow. I can't, and I've never been oh, so great for a shot in my life, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is so crazy to say, even though I'm going to sweat through the whole thing. Like, other people giving me a shot, I'm going to, like, be shaking and probably cry. When you go through the airport, do you opt out and get patted down, or do you go through the sensors? Uh, I go through the the sensors, uh, and I do a lot. Well, previous to our current, you know, year, I was doing a lot of international travel as well. I'm fortunate to be uh, to have that pre approval. Um, okay. Yeah. On uh, on a lot of the domestic travel I do, but for international ones, I would you know go through the standard security. And but oftentimes, uh, whether it's my CGM or my pump or whatever, I, I do get flagged. Um, and, and have a, at least a mini pat down. So I feel like those uh, security personnel have gotten to know me well over <laughs> over the years. But it doesn't seem like, my personal opinion is it doesn't seem like it's consistent. Uh, right. Certainly not from airport to airport, but even from one airport to another. And actually, I have I have one crazy story for you about, yes. about travel, which is, again, one of these ones that's humorous in, in hindsight. I was traveling uh, from France uh, back to the States. This was a few years ago. And I, for whatever reason, my boarding pass had been flagged. I could tell because every security check I went through at, at Charles de Gaulle Airport in, in Paris, I, I was getting kind of an extra thorough investigation. So by the time I got to, you know, literally where I was going up to the plane to board my flight, I think it was a flight to Detroit, um, where I was going to be then changing and doing a transfer. The, they asked me to just like open up my bags and they were going through them and they narrowed, they narrowed down on this, um, this Frio bag, which you may know that, you know, is this, uh, a nice bag to help keep the insulin at a good temperature. And at the time I wasn't pumping, I don't believe. And so I really needed this. Like I needed this, you know, needed this insulin with me. Um, and they were being incredibly strict, even though I had a doctor's note and everything else that um, I couldn't bring it with me. And so here I am, like they boarded the entire plane. It's a massive plane of hundreds and hundreds of people. And I'm still waiting And the head of security for the, that particular airline. Uh, it was Delta airlines for, for the airport was coming to talk with me. And I, you know, I speak fluent French and I was explaining to him what was going on. I had a letter in English and French. And I'm like, I do this flight all the time. What is going on? And he, he wouldn't share um, the specifics with me, but he said, okay, I'm going to have to hold on to that. And then at this point, the plane, uh, the buses and all that had already taken off. So I, I was taken in a, in a private car <laughs> up to meet the plane um, where I boarded with, you know, people thought I was either like a, a prison inmate or a VIP. Um, and I'm walking up and he still has this Brio bag. And then he gives it to the head stewardess. He says, okay, she's going to have to hold on to this for the entirety of your flight. I'm really like, what is going on here? Right? So long story short, I get into the plane. She takes me to my, to my seat. And about 20 or 30 minutes into the flight, she comes to me and gives me my bag, my bag. She says, listen, my brother has type one diabetes. I, I get it. I don't, you know, and I found out later 
that because of some major security red flags on that exact same flight, um, the, the day before, in fact, I think it was the shoe bomber. If anybody remembers the infamous shoe bomber that was related to syringes, they were incredibly cautious and, uh, caught up in that story, but it's one that I'll never, uh, never forget. Wow. Thankfully, that doesn't happen to all of us, but I think everybody living with diabetes has had some little hiccup in their travel plans. That's really been the absolute exception. I mean, most of the time, uh, it's really not an issue uh, at all. I never, I would say it, I count on my hands how many times I've ever even had to show my doctor's letter. You know, so many of these people have been trained on it or aware of the different devices that exist. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those, those things too, because so many times in my life when I've been in a weird hiccup situation like that, somebody will come out of the blue and, oh, I know somebody with type 1 or my best friend or my boyfriend or whatever. And so I'm glad that other people are, are stepping up or speaking up for us as well. So, well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking time to join me. And I just, like I said, I really like what you guys are doing and please let me know what I can do to help in any way and um, keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Amber. Thank you for having us on the show. We appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing Kyle and learned so much about what Diabetes Wise has to offer. But one of my biggest takeaways from this interview is, I need to up my diversity game. Wine and French green beans were great, but it doesn't hold a candle to a trip to Japan. I'll be curious to see what Kyle does for his 25th anniversary coming up later this year. Before we wrap up, I do have a few quick reminders. Number one, I'd be incredibly grateful if you threw a little change my way. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. Number two, be sure to check out the affiliates page. If you'd like to join this list of reputable brands, please shoot us an email to Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Number three, like I said, the Real Life Diabetes Virtual Happy Hour is still taking place every Thursday from 5 to 6.15 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be sure to register by clicking the Happy Hour logo in the show notes. And finally, spring is here and we're enjoying all the sunshine. I just want to remind you that I'm here for you. So feel free to contact me anytime at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com or on any social media platform. Your continued support and love are the reason I keep the episodes coming. Thank you. That's a wrap. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone.